This is Framework Leadership. I'm Ken Tingle, and you're listening to Framework Leadership, a podcast about how to bring your personal life and organization to the next level. Today, I'm sitting down with Pastor Willie George. Willie George is the founding pastor of Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Whether it was creating the Gospel Bill Show in an effort to reach children or launching the student ministry, 180, Willie has always been on the cutting edge of ministry. He was the lead pastor of the church for 30 years and in 2017 handed over those responsibilities to his son, Whit George. Today, uh, in his role as founding and teaching pastor, Willie has the opportunity to influence both the Church on the Move leadership team and, of course, next generation leaders around the world. It's my pleasure to welcome Willie George to Framework Leadership. Welcome. Thank you very much, Dr. Angle. Hey, let's uh, let's start out uh, a little bit about your background. You were born and raised in Texas. Tell me what life was like growing up, your family life. You know, until I was nine years old, it was amazing. My dad was a professional rodeo cowboy. Uh, and in those days, Westerns were the standard fare on television. Uh, and I lived that life. I got to meet Roy Rogers. I got to meet Gene Autry when I was a kid. And we traveled all over America, Cheyenne, New York City, Boston, Houston, San Antonio, all the big rodeos. And uh, that was pretty exciting. But then when I was nine, my mom and dad split and we moved out of the great small town where we lived and went to the city and uh, mom began to drink. And um, there was no one around to restrain her. She turned into a monster. and. Soon her frustration turned all toward me. And uh, so it was pretty tough for about four years. I, uh, I finally left when I was 13. I couldn't handle it anymore. So that's what my early life was like. It was both great and awful. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, I mean, when you look at, you look back and you reflect on that. So traveling around the country, that obviously the different um cultures, environments, uh, had to have a shape, shape your life. And then, and then these difficult, uh, issues and challenges that, uh, a lot of people don't experience actually, uh, in, in family life. How, how did that shape you in becoming the person that you are today and how you lead, how you guide, um, uh, your life? You know, my grandmother was a church going woman. She went to an assembly of God church in Fort Worth, wonderful lady wonderful church. And um, she took me and my brother uh, as much as we would go, uh, which was probably maybe eight or 10 times a year for us. And that was not her fault. That was ours. But not one time in that, in that period did anyone ever sit me down and explain the gospel to me. Um, mm. I think that they had a prevailing thought that maybe I was too young to understand. And I had questions about it. I, I kept asking my grandmother on the way to church, how can I know I'm going to heaven? And uh, her answer was always very simple. Just just believe in God. And I said, Grandma, I do, but I need to know more. And But nobody would talk to me. So that really later in life, when I did become a Christian at age 17, that really drove me. And I thought, you know, there are loads of kids out here in this world who have the same things going on in their lives that I had in mind and people aren't taking them seriously. So that really drove me toward children's ministry. Yeah. And I it motivated you to, in, what is it? 1981, you created uh, the nationally broadcast kids TV program, the gospel bill show. How, how did that motivate that missional drive for that show? And 
and taking it where you, you took it from 1981 to 1993, I believe. Well, we had... Um Great Kids Ministry in the two churches I worked in out West Texas. We had, um, um, and then I worked in a third church in Tulsa, but uh, we had great bus ministry. We picked up a lot of underprivileged kids and uh, I had to learn to teach them. And I, I like to say they really taught me because bus kids don't have to come back the next week. And I was very sensitive to whether or not I was connecting with them. And so every week I made adjustments. I continually altered my uh, methods. I learned from what worked, what didn't work. I learned how to, that I couldn't be serious the whole time and I couldn't be funny the whole time. I had to learn how to lead into a service where I could really do business for God with those kids. And then at the same time, end with a lot of fun. So we began with fun. We got serious. Then we ended with fun. And uh, I used to, to drive into towns all over the Texas Panhandle. I, I had a goal. I wanted to reach every kid within a hundred mile radius. And we had routes that went out 70 miles in one direction. And believe it or not, those buses were full. And uh, I used to cry and pray to God, God, let me have every kid in this circle. And one day when I was praying like that, God showed me that I would be on television instead of with buses. And I saw myself preaching to kids on TV. I had no idea how that was going to come. But by 1982, it became a reality. It didn't take off um, quickly. Uh, we had to learn how to do the program. But uh, by 1982, we got started. 84, we started uh, with national syndication. By about 88, 89, we were everywhere. And um, so that's how it came about. Yeah, you, you you mentioned that you uh, talk, uh, talk to me a little bit about that refi refining process, um, learning, discovery. Uh, what kind of questions would you, you know, kind of ask yourself to to improve, to make changes, to make differences? Well, in the television program, um, you know, my own kids didn't like to watch the first six shows I made. Um, I had to, <laughs> and, and they were in them. And what we tried to do was to film a children's church. And uh, I tried to both reach the audience in my TV studio and reach the audience through the camera. That didn't work. And I got a piece of advice from someone um, that was just brilliant. And they talked to me about Captain Kangaroo and how that the captain never preached directly into the TV. He was always teaching Mr. Green Jeans, who would explain things to Captain, the Dancing Bear, Bunny Rabbit, all those characters taught each other. And each one of those adults played dumb. And mm. the Captain's philosophy was, if we talk to each other, the kids will eavesdrop and pay closer attention than if we try to talk to them directly. And so I said, let's start telling stories. Let's act them out. And I told my guys, you're going to have to be flawed characters. You're, you're, each of you is going to have to have some kind of a problem. And I hate to tell you, but I'm going to be the straight man and you're going to be messed up. And uh, we're going to solve your problem every week. And the kids are going to watch us solve your problems. And so every week, our characters would fall into some kind of a trap of, 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 of sorts, and I would come back in and help them get out of it. And that was a huge hit. That's what made the difference. Mm. Then, then in terms of transitions, about a, a little over 30 years ago, you and your family planted Church on the Move. You uh, 
went to Tulsa, Oklahoma. What what led you to to make that move and plant this church? Tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, you know, Dr. Engel, I had a dream of having a tremendous children's ministry the way I would really like to have seen it run. And uh, I was traveling all over America teaching other churches how to do kids ministry. But at the time, I didn't have any place that people could come and see something that I would consider ideal. So that that prompted me to start praying about a church. And in 1987, uh, the Lord really began to deal with me about now's the time. So we launched on the worst possible weekend of the year, the 4th of July weekend. Uh, we had 163 people. Uh, most of them were my employees and their families. And um, by year one, we were up to about 600 people. By year two, we hit about 1,100. By year three, we hit 3,000. And part of the, the success was all based in the youth and children's stuff. And it wasn't just that we had those programs down in our church. We did. But I found out that my experience in communicating with kids greatly helped me communicating with adults. And I felt like that uh, most people tried to get too deep with adults. And I didn't have any choice. I, I didn't have the ability to go deep. So I had to learn to communicate with them and explain things. And that was a big hit. That's what caused people to come to our church. They said, I get this guy. I understand what he's saying. And so I look back and I think all those years in the children's ministry really prepared me for adult ministry. Hmm. Now, I want to ask you about making transitions like that. You know, difficulties possibly in following, you know, that kind of divine plan that maybe God has for you. How, how do you handle leaps of faith? How do you guide that, respond to that? Well, I believe, and my, my counsel to young people is, uh, don't see your life as a long cable, see it as a chain. And oh, uh, your, 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 your ministry experiences should be like the links of a chain, and each one of them should be closed. In other words, see everything that you do as building to where you're going. You may not do this forever. You may change what you're doing right now. But don't leave it abruptly. Stay with it, finish it, excel at it, because it will lead you to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And, and one day you'll look back and you'll see, hey, I have a long, unbroken chain that has brought me to this place. And I've done a little of this, a little of that. I, I see that with David. He starts out as a shepherd. Uh, then he becomes a, a, a soldier, really, in Saul's army after he kills Goliath. He is a a singer, a psalmist. He plays for the king. Uh, he becomes a great warrior. And ultimately, he's a king. He had so many different professions. He was a prophet. He wrote songs. He had all of these different things that he did. And uh, he excelled at all of them. And so what I see is that his heart for being a shepherd translated into his heart for the people of Israel that he would lead. And so the lessons that you learn in the small things, like my first job was to be a janitor. And uh, I learned so much about how to do things with excellence just by taking good care of the church building. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, and I love the analogy of the chain. How, how do you, and you mentioned closing. 
each link of the chain? How, how do you successfully close, you know, the chain on, on one season? Well, if, if let's suppose uh, that we're talking about working a local church and I'm the janitor. I did that and did it well and developed systems for it. And the time came when the church said, okay, you don't need to do that anymore. We've got to move you exclusively to the youth and kids. And I was glad to see that day come, but I had established a system so that someone else could come in and pick up where I left off. And that was always my approach to whatever I did. I I don't want to just do this by myself. I want to train other people to go with me. And that's what I started seeing as pastor. If I'm going to go to the hospital, I'm taking somebody with me. I I, ultimately, if we're going to grow, I can't do every one of these things. And so I learned along the way to always look for people to develop. And that's how you close a link. You, You start by doing the work yourself, but when you bring others with you and show them how to do what you do, it frees you which is exactly what Jesus did. Years ago, I heard this from a very wise man. He said, Jesus released the disciples into their ministry when he ascended into heaven, but they released him into his job as the mediator of the new covenant, the high priest and the head of the church to sit at the right hand of God. And so there's a double release when we delegate properly. And that's what I mean by closing the link of a chain. That's great. That's great. Wow. You, you are such a, uh, an innovative leader uh, and you're so creative. You're, you're always on the edge of what's next. One of the ministries that you're known for creating, developing, and, and having tremendous success is, is the bus ministry. Uh, tell me mm-hmm. about uh, the vision behind that and how, how it uh, impacts the local church. Well, bus ministry was a miniature church, and it, it, it allowed me to cultivate relationships directly with families. It allowed me to pastor families. And, and when you get into bus ministry, you get into a lot of people who are spiritually uncovered. You're out there, and, and it's not uncommon to knock on a door and find out there's been a death in the family. I, I buried a number of our bus kids over the years who died tragically and, um, and and it was heartbreaking. And so that kind of human connection um, really opened up my eyes to the way people live. Um, I had to learn how to be consistent. I had to learn to look to the Lord. I, I You know, anybody who knocks on doors and visits, uh, you know, you don't get a hundred percent response. There are people who will look you in the eye and promise you they'll be ready the next morning. They're not, uh, but you go by anyway. And so you learn to draw your strength from the Lord, which is, I think, the, one of the most important elements of ministry. Too many ministers are codependent on their people, and when the people don't perform the way that they should, the minister's brokenhearted and. That is a self-defeating element. What, what it does is it causes people to lose confidence in you. You have to project that I'm going to walk with God whether anybody else does or not. That's what people follow. And, you know, that's what allowed Jesus to say to his apostles when so many people left. He said, will you go also? And, and there was this sense that he was going to finish the job no matter how many or few followed him. 
And I think that's what we have to do. That's why we, you know, pay a lot of attention to Hebrews 12, where we look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Yeah, that's good. You, uh, you have a, a style of teaching, uh, communicating that is both compassion, but yet it's also a matter of fact. I mean, it's, it's very unique combination that has clearly impacted uh, thousands of lives. How, how would you describe your leadership style? And also, how, do you, how does your leadership change over time? You know, uh, I was unprotected as a kid. And uh, mm. my mom exposed my brother and I to all kinds of things we should never have seen, never been around. And um, that was something that I always vowed would be different in my life. And I was determined not only to protect my home, my family, but I was determined to protect our church. And, and, and what that meant was, and when you have a flow of God and you're eager to allow the Holy Spirit to move and minister in your church, there are always going to be people who come to take advantage of that. And some of them don't mean well, and some of them do. They're just misguided. And if, if you do not have a commitment to protecting and filtering what God wants to do, uh, there will be some abuse of your sheep. And I purposed that I was going to make sure that we honored Christ. And at the same time, we protected the sheep who came to our church. And so, uh, you know, I would explain things. Sometimes I would tell people, you can't come back. You're, you're hurting people. Uh, this is not how we run here. Uh, I, I, I felt like that uh, in a lot of churches, they had more compassion for the, for the perpetrator than they did the victims. And uh, so we were very careful to protect the sheep. And what that meant was there were times when I was very straightforward and frank with with some of my instruction. And and uh, but at the same time, I, I, I feel that um, that you can't be that way if you're not super compassionate. And I think that's what people would know about me. My employees always said about me, even people that I had to let go, they said he's tough, but fair. And that's how I want to be known. I'm going to be fair, but at the same time, I will demand a lot. Yeah, that's good. You you have four children, uh, 10 grandchildren. Uh, what's one piece of leadership advice that you give young people starting out uh, and you want them to really know as they begin to build their life? There's a book out today called Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. It's by David Epstein. And he chronicles the careers of Tiger Woods and Roger Federer. And um, Tiger, as we all know, was cultivated by his dad from a very early age to be a professional golfer. And that was his focus. That was his life. Everything was wrapped up in that. And you can't argue with the fact that Tiger did well for a a good long period of time. On the other hand, Roger Federer played basketball, handball, table tennis, badminton, soccer. His mother was a tennis coach, but both of his parents encouraged him to try all kinds of sports. And he eventually gravitated to tennis, but even when he did, they, they were careful not to push him too hard. And what I think of is that I think a lot of times young people try to narrow their focus too quickly. 
uh, I love high school sports, and we have a great high school pro- program at Lincoln Christian School in our church. And when college recruiters come to look at a football player uh, or a baseball player, whatever, the first question they ask is, what other sports does he play? And what they're looking for is athleticism and and the ability to be a teammate. And I have to say over the years, we've had kids who have quit sports and said, I'm going to focus only on baseball or I'm going to focus only on football or I'm going to focus only on this. And I've never yet seen the kid do well by doing that. It, they all do better when they do more than one thing. Mm, that's good. We, um, you know, the mission here at Southeastern is is helping students discover and develop their divine design, the way God made them, created them, wired them, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the experiences. In in in, in your experience, what would be a couple of things that you would help um, students really learn how to truly identify what God has for them. A couple of things that would help them to reflect that would give them that indication. This is what God's called me to do. You know, Dr. Engel, I don't know that early, early on that anyone is going to get exactly what they're going to do. I think it always morphs a little bit as we take our journey. Sure. Yep. Ecclesiastes says this, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. And there are times when we find jobs or we find positions, we find opportunities, not with our hearts, we find them with our hands. And so I really, in the beginning, uh, even though I had compassion for children, I was going to be a pastor. That's where I trained. I went to Bible school for that. But I began to see that our church needed some help with the kids. And I thought, you know, I'm not ready to pastor. I don't want to leave this church. I need to be under this pastor. He's helping me greatly. But I need to do something. So while I'm waiting on becoming a pastor, I think I'm going to get into the kids. And that's how I started. And we started writing curriculum. I had a tremendous bus ministry, ultimately became Gospel Bill, had a nationwide. Actually, we went all over the world. My curriculum went into 60 different countries. And all of this without me seeing an angel or hearing a voice or or knowing exactly (laughs) what I was going to do. And so it was something God permitted me to do, but it did not interfere with what he ultimately led me to do. God can always find you. He never loses your address. That's good. You uh, you founded uh, Dry Gulch USA in the 80s, and for a long time, it was known for the incredible Christmas train. I know uh, you recently sold it, and, and I'm curious, what what did it mean to you, and how, how, how did you come to the decision to sell it? You know, I've gotten a lot of questions about that because we were known for Dry Gulch. Christmas train actually proclaimed the gospel to one million people. In wow. a 17-year stretch. And I, I'm thrilled that we had the opportunity to do that. Uh, Dry Gulch and Christmas Train really were a part of my parachurch ministry that I started with. I, I, this is what a lot of pastors don't realize. I had a parachurch ministry for 10 years before we ever started the church. And so little by little, the parachurch elements begin to drop off. 
And uh, they dried up. The curriculum thing was not a, a forever thing for us. Me teaching children's ministry seminars, and people will sometimes ask me today, could you speak to this? And I say, no, I really can't because I haven't been in a kid's classroom in 20 years. I, I, I'm not in touch with that age group today. You need to get someone who's a little bit more up to date on that. And I asked the Lord about it. I said, you know, I'm, I'm curious. You're, you're leading me to give these things up. And I, I do believe that. But, but did I miss it? Did I blow it? And I heard the Lord say for the first time ever, I never called you to children's ministry. I called you to a generation. And so when my kids, my oldest three, when they were little, I was gospel bill. When they turned into teenagers, I launched 180. And in the early 2000s, when they hit their 30s, I, I was all about relevant church. And so I basically just followed them up the ladder wherever they were. That's where I went in ministry. And the good thing about it is there's a, a group in Tennessee that bought all of our trains, our track, our costumes. They're going to run Christmas train in Tennessee. And we sold the camp to a local group that has a tremendous camping ministry. And so that will all work. And basically what I've done is I've not put on my son Whit something that God never called him to do. God called me to the parachurch ministry. God called him to be a local church pastor. So it wasn't fair of me to leave that for him to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and you you just passed the torch to to Wit. How how has how has ministry changed from when you started out and in the in the strength of it? And what would you say is the key to effectively making the transition to the way culture changes and how to how to present the gospel? You know, Doctor Engel, in in my opinion, the patriarchs are a model for church transition. Hmm. Um. A, uh, you, you know, the kings are not. The king reigned until he died. And, and all too often when a pastor serves until he dies, uh, the church never recovers. Uh, the transition probably should have happened years before. And what you see the Holy Spirit doing in the lives of the patriarchs in Genesis is fascinating. There's a 360-year period from the birth of Abraham to the death of Joseph. And the Holy Spirit moves on to the next patriarch before the last one dies. And what you see is there's a huge amount of interaction between Abraham and Isaac, but no interaction between Abraham and Jacob. They did overlap for 15 years, but uh, there's no interaction there. We see a lot of interaction between Isaac and Jacob, but not between Isaac and um, Joseph. Joseph was 29 years old when Isaac died, but they had little contact. And so what I saw was that we really know one generation below us. And when we get so old that now the church needs to begin to reach two generations down, it's a little bit difficult to do that without having a younger generation helping you. And I, I saw that. Whit gets this millennial generation and younger. Those are the people he lives with. And I saw that it would be good for me to transition to him. Now, there are three phases in transition. There's the prep phase. I had to get Whit ready. And, 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 and I'll be honest with you. I didn't know if Whit was the one early on. And just because he's my son doesn't mean he's the one. I was watching to see who God would raise up in our church. But Whit was the one who emerged. 
but I had to sell him to the church. And in the beginning, he wasn't ready. And he had to begin to, to speak. And, and in the beginning, he could only speak one Sunday because message preparation was just terrible for him. And after a while, people started saying, man, he's really getting good. And now he says, Dad, I can do two. I can do three. And what I saw is, okay, now the church is buying into him. Uh, uh, he, he needed to have some development. Transition was hard on him in the first phase. He wanted to take the reins, but he wasn't ready. That was the easy part for me. I was wanting to hang on. The celebration stage was the short stage. That's when we actually made the announcements. It's about a two to three month period where we're meeting with all of our key leaders. We're letting them know when it's coming and what we expect of them, what we need from them. That was easy. And then there's the public baton pass that goes along with that. The hard part for the founder is the last phase after you've passed the torch, because you think you know how you're going to feel, but you don't really know. So now I get all the Labor Day, Memorial Day Sundays. That's when I preach um, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, that's what I used to give to wit. <laughs> and now I have those Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I don't have the influence at the church I once had. And, and, and that really can't be. I, they, it can't be a two-headed monster. And so I've got to step back. And another element, and I told the church and the staff not long ago, I said, I don't pray for you anymore. And I know that you're probably shocked at that. But here's why. When I pray intently for the church, I begin to pick up the feeling of the church. I begin to pick up a burden for the church. And what it does, it brings me into conflict with my son, who's the pastor. I want to come in and do this. I want to suggest that. And, and I start to realize I'm meddling because I'm, I'm taking this on. And I, I begin to see my prayers need to be focused on him. And I pray for him. And I'm blown away and how much that's changed my ability to navigate and how much I've seen God work in him to do the things that I feel like he should do without me having to say anything. That's great wisdom. Wow. We, I know we have uh, many leaders who listen uh, in on this podcast that, that are actually in the transition phase and uh, turning it over to that next person. How, how do you know? who God wants to, to raise up next? What are the things that you look for as you were even looking for in your, your son? Well, I, I needed to see some wisdom. And that's one of the things that I saw with Whit early on. He, he would uh, be very, very quiet in staff meetings. And everybody else would be talking and they're all weighing in on this, that, and the other. And I'd see Whit just sitting silently. And I'd say, okay, Whit, what's going on? What do you see? And and he was very respectful, but he would challenge some of the things that I had said. My, I had other people who put a rubber stamp on anything I said immediately. It wasn't that way. And he had this way about him where he asked me questions that made me really think through why we did this or that. And when we got into that, I started saying, man, this, this is right. Boy, mm -hmm. and 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 it was it 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 was a little bit of pushback, and I think that's healthy. And he, especially if he's never disrespectful, and so I yeah. saw this wisdom developing in him, and uh, and I saw that the ideas he was coming up with were really making a difference in the church. 
And, uh, you, you know, I have to say some of the biggest things we ever did at Church on the Move, programs that brought in a 20, 25,000 people in attendance, those were Witt's ideas. Nobody knew it at the time. He was behind the scenes, but he was the guy making that happen. And so uh, I started saying, okay, I can see the hand of God here. The other thing is I wanted to see if he could hold a nucleus of people together. What did his team think about him? And quickly I saw he was developing the strongest team in the church, the people with the greatest abilities, and they also had the greatest harmony. And so, you know, that's one thing you look at. Uh, some people are like dry snow. You can't make a snowball out of them. You try to pack it together and you can't get anything to stick. And and you wonder, okay, is this guy really called to leadership? Because a real leader has a magnetic ability to draw and to hold people. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. A couple more questions. We're going to close with uh, the final round. Um, I know you spend a lot of time now on, on Rocker W., can you tell mm-hmm. us about what it is and your vision for that moving forward? Well, Rocker W is a ranch, basically, where we try to get pastors to relax. Our cell phone coverage there is awful. And I used <laughs> to hate that, but now I'm thrilled about it because it's yeah. great to get guys out there. We get out there and we hunt deer in the fall. We hunt quail uh, in January, February, and March. And then we're working on creating some amazing bass lakes. And I want to see a nine month a year program where we have about eight pastors at a time. And the dynamic is such that when I get these young guys out there, when I'm not talking, they're talking to each other and they're sharpening each other. And I listen in, what are you doing for assimilation? What's your growth track program like? And, 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 and so that's something that I can't really speak into because I'm not doing that right now. I can tell you what we used to do. My thing is I want to pass on to them some secrets and principles that never change. And uh, no matter how old I am, I, I, and I can help them with their families. And a lot of these guys are maybe having a little bit of difficulty with their kids. And they say, you know, did you see God's hand on your sons when they were teenagers? And I said, when my boys were teenagers, they goofed off a little bit. They were not ungodly. But they didn't take anything serious. And I said, a lot of people were upset because they expected my sons to be miniature Willie Georges. And I said, that's not fair. That's not fair at all. Everybody has a, an opportunity to grow and develop. And what I, and they said, well, when did you see your sons becoming men of God? And I said, not until they got into their 20s. And that's when I begin to see real spiritual development. And and today, I, I tell people all the time, they're both better dads than I was. I love what I'm seeing with them. They're great leaders. And and I, But I got to tell you, when they were 17, 18, 19, 20, I didn't know if that was going to happen or not. And But we still did what we felt like we were supposed to do. And so when I can sit and talk with a pastor about his family, and, and, and that's a big struggle with a lot of guys. I, I also talk about balance. How do you balance ministry and home? And that's one thing is that I don't believe God calls you to sacrifice your home in order to build a great church. You, you've got to protect your home. Yeah, and, and, and final question before the fire round. Speak about, you know, speaking about packs, passing on wisdom. I mean, you've served in full-time ministry. It's rewarding, but 
there is no doubt in the world that we live in. It's unpredictable. We live in right now such a polarized world. But as a leader who has been extremely successful and God's honored your faithfulness, how, what is that piece of wisdom that you would give new ministry leaders, pastors that are just starting out and uh, leading in their communities? You know, the thing that we have to do to get people to accept our message is we have to have influence. You can never affect a person's life without first developing influence. And influence is not always preaching. Um, The apostles in the early days of the church, even Jesus, he gained a lot of influence by the great healing ministry that he had. Um, they would walk cold turkey into villages and begin to preach, and God would confirm their preaching with amazing miracles. And I think that that's still pertinent today. I think we need to expect God to honor our prayers. But on the other hand, I would also say that one thing that we need to be known for is great compassion. Mm, And I would encourage every church to develop some kind of strategy to show your community we really care. Um, get your people involved. We had a serve day uh, not too long ago. We had over 3,000 people in our church Uh out working in the city all day long in the heat. And it it blew our city and civic leaders away. And and it's amazing what we can do when we concentrate, uh, say, a few hundred people on one project. We had a flood in June in Tulsa. It wiped out a lot of our area. It's amazing how much flood damage our people picked up in uh, our July serve day. That opens a door for us to share our story. It, 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 and that's what I would say today. Preach, but at the same time, look for demonstrations. Demonstrate that God is It's a goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Yeah. Great insight. All right. Three quick questions. What's a perfect day off look like for you? Oh, perfect day off for me is no, nothing scheduled. My wife and I get to go do what we want. We go to our favorite restaurant and we have several, but, but we find a restaurant we want to go to. And, uh, you know, we love the fall. We love to antique. We love to look at old stuff. I, I, I love that. She does too. And so that's a perfect day for us. Uh, sounds good. What historical leader would, uh, living or dead, would you most love to sit down and over a cup of coffee? Oh, man. Uh, you, you know, there are a number of them. I, I, I look at some of our past presidents. I, I think, um, um, you know, that FDR was a, yeah. a, an amazing leader and what he was able to do. I don't agree with everything that he did, but but he had great compassion uh, on, on our people. And he was in when you think about the people he mobilized, yes, not only yes. for the getting out of the Depression, but uh, winning World War Two. I, I this would have been a guy who would have been helpful in terms of leadership. He, he was a great leader. Um, Dr. Roy Hicks was a tremendous, tremendous leader and very compassionate, um, really helped me with so much practical stuff. Um, I, 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 I miss him today. Um, I, I think of several other people, I got nuggets and that's, that's one thing, you know, I, I didn't have a great 
uh, fathering when I was a kid. But God said, I'll be a father to the fatherless. And I learned along the way, I would get little nuggets from great leaders around the country. John Osteen was a great mentor to me. I can't tell you how much he helped me with just a few visits here and there. And it doesn't have to be a lifetime of connection. Just a few visits. Pay attention to that stuff. Yeah. What's your, what's your next big dream? My next big dream is I'm launching a new website and I'm launching a podcast and I want to take what I feel like I've learned that can help pastors and leaders. And I want to put that out there and make it available to them for free. And I want to see it gain wide acceptance. That's really what I, I want to get done now. Yeah, that's great. And there's no doubt it's going to have great influence. Wow, it's been great to have you on Framework Leadership. You you are a powerful leader, a discerning leader, one who who proclaims truth in an influential way. And you do it with great humility and compassion. And that's that's what I love about you. Uh, hey, it's it's been a pleasure to talk with you, Willie. For more on Willie George Church on the Move, visit churchonthemove.com and also rockerw.com to see all the work that he's doing there. Hey, thanks for joining us on Framework Leadership today. Thank you, Dr. Engel. To connect with Kent, visit kentingle.com. Also make sure to follow him on Twitter at kentingle and on Facebook at kent.ingle. Thanks for listening to Framework Leadership.